everyone and welcome back to Building Voices, the CMS Ice Disputes podcast where people in the know discuss topical issues that impact the construction and infrastructure sectors. Today we have the pleasure of being joined by Wen Jin Tae, a construction barrister from Keating Chambers. Today's topic of discussion is the Building Safety Act 2022, which received royal assent on the 20th of April 2022. The Act makes profound changes to the liability landscape in the UK construction industry and was brought in to affect industry-wide change following the Grenfell tragedy in 2017. Under the Act, a number of new rights of action have been introduced and extended and retrospective limitation periods now apply and liability can now be extended across corporate structures by order of the court in circumstances. This podcast forms a series of podcasts discussing key issues arising from the Act. Today, we're focusing on two specific points, the Defective Premises Act and Section 38 of the Building Act. So to kick us off, Wen Jin, please can you discuss Section 2A of the DPA and the changes that are brought in by the Building Safety Act? Well, Francis, um, first of all, thanks very much um, for having me on this podcast. Uh, the, the primary change introduced uh, by the Building Safety Act in respect of the DPA is the introduction of a new section 2A. Um, and I think the best way to understand uh, the new section is by examining uh, the previous original section 1, because there's quite a lot of similarities between the two. But for those of our listeners who aren't aware, section 1 of the DPA imposes a duty on those carrying out works in connection with the provision of a dwelling to carry out those works in a workmanlike or professional manner and with proper materials such that the dwelling when completed is fit for habitation. This is a duty that is owed to the person who commissioned the works and also to anybody who acquires a legal or equitable interest in the property. The, the key characteristic um, of section one is that it only covers works uh, in connection with the provision of a dwelling and how that has been interpreted by the courts is the erection of a new dwelling uh, or the conversion of an existing be uh, building to a dwelling. Uh, what section one does not cover is repairs to or an enlargement of an existing dwelling. Um, and that's even if those repairs are extensive. Uh, the, the test now is that um, repairs or enlargement have to essentially change the entire character of the property uh, before those works will come under the ambit of section one. Great, thanks Wenjin. Um, an issue that often crosses our desks as construction solicitors is what is meant by fitness for habitation. Can you um, provide us some of your insight on that? Yeah, um, well, although the Defective Premises Act doesn't give a definition for fitness for habitation, this is a, a point that's been considered by the courts on, on several occasions. And I think uh, the leading case on it is still uh, Mr. Justice Edward Stewart in Rendlesham. Um, and I can't put it better than the judge himself, so I'm just going to read out from his judgment. He says, uh, in my judgment for a dwelling to be fit for habitation, it must, on completion, without any remedial works being carried out, a, be capable of occupation for a reasonable time without risk to the health or safety of the occupants, and B, be capable of occupation for a reasonable time without undue inconvenience or discomfort to the occupants. So any defects that could pose a risk to health or safety or that could uh, cause living in that dwelling to be uh, filled with undue inconvenience or discomfort, uh, those would be defects that uh, would give rise to a finding of unfitness for habitation. Thanks for that um, well-needed clarity. And um, I think, Wenjin, you're now going to talk a little bit about the comparison between Section 1 and Section 2A 
um, of the DPA. Can you let us know your thoughts on that, please? Yes, Francis. Um, so as I said earlier, the, the key characteristic of Section 1 is that it only applies to works uh, in respect of new dwellings. The purpose of this new Section 2A is to extend the duty under Section 1 to cover uh, refurbishment works or repairs to existing dwellings. Uh, so Section 2A, subsection 1, says that it applies to work undertaken in the course of a business in relation to any part of a relevant building. And a relevant building is then defined as a building which contains one or more dwellings. Um, I'd just like to point out that that definition is meant to head off any confusion about whether an apartment block uh, uh, is a dwelling for the purposes of Section 2A. This was a question uh, with the original Section 1 until it was clarified again in Rendlesham Estates. So if we look at Section 2A, um, it seems that aside from that difference in scope, it's broadly similar to Section uh, 1 because the duty is owed um, to the, the persons who commissioned the work and also anyone that has a legal or equitable interest in the property. So that's exactly the same as Section 1. Um, there is the same defence in Section 2A of uh, following instructions. And in relation to that defence, there's also a carve-out, uh, as there is in Section 1, in relation to the owner simply agreeing instructions. So an owner who has agreed to have works carried out in a certain way uh, is not to be taken as having issued instructions for that work. There is also, under Section 2A, the same inclusion uh, for developers and those who arrange for others to take on work uh, in relation to a dwelling. So developers can't get out of the duty under Section 2A by saying they didn't actually do any of the work, they only arranged for people to do the work. And finally, Section 2A also provides for um, the same test uh, of determining when the cause of action has actually accrued. So the cause of action under Section 2A, like Section 1, accrues when the works are completed. And if there are any further remedial works that are done after completion, then a separate cause of action arises once that remedial work is completed. Thanks, Wenjin, for your insights on the DPA. We also know that extended limitation periods under the DPA were brought in by the Building Safety Act. However, we will cover this and other limitation issues off on another podcast. So we're now going to turn to Section 38 of the Building Act. Wenjin is going to talk us through a number of issues, including whether it is in force, what type of buildings are covered, whether there are retrospective elements, and the extent of damages that are recoverable. Wenjin, please let us know your thoughts. Thanks, Francis. Um, I think the first thing to note about Section 38 of the Building Act is that it's not technically part of the Building Safety Act at all. Uh, it was passed as part of the Building Act way back in 1984, uh, but that section was never brought into force. We know that the government intended to bring it into force um, alongside the Building Safety Act because, because of an outline transition plan uh, that the government released. Uh, that plan said that Section 38 would come into effect through uh, secondary legislation at the same time uh, as the changes to the Defective Premises Act that we spoke about earlier. Uh, despite that, um, no such secondary legislation has been passed as of the time of uh, recording, and we don't actually um, know when uh, such legislation will be passed. I note that um, when the Building Safety Act first received royal assent, the government had on its website a redress fact sheet that spelled out the causes of action that would be available, um, and that redress fact sheet provided for an action under Section 38 of the Building Act. However, 
On the 25th of July 2022, the entire fact sheet was withdrawn from the government website. Again, at this point, we don't know why, and we don't know if the government's intent is still to bring uh, Section 38 into effect. On the assumption that they do, however, um, I thought it might be useful to talk through what the section actually says. So the key operative provision of Section 38 is really um, in subsection 1, paragraph A. And that reads, a breach of a duty imposed by the building regulations, so far as it causes damage, is actionable, except insofar as the regulations um, provide otherwise. So um, there's three things I'd like to cover in respect of Section 38. The first is its application. So what types of building does it cover? Uh, secondly is the, the timing. So is it a prospective or retrospective claim? And thirdly, what is the kind of damage recoverable under Section 38? Um, so first, beginning with application, uh, the wording of Section 38 doesn't say um, what types of building it applies to, but it appears that the government's intent, um, at least during the reading of the Building Safety Bill, was that Section 38 would cover all types of buildings, not just dwellings, um, as in the Defective Premises Act. So I'm reading out from the Hansard, um, from the 13th reading of the Building Safety Bill here. The Minister of State for Housing said, Section 38 of the Building Act, which we will bring into force alongside the Defective Premises Act changes, allows an action to be brought for damages where breach of building regulations in respect of any building, not just domestic premises, has caused damage. The next issue to think about is um, the timing of the claim under Section 38. So is it um, retrospective or prospective? Um, and this is addressed in subsection 2 of Section 38. It says subsection 1 does not apply in the case of a breach of such a duty in connection with a building erected before the date on which that subsection comes into force. So generally, it is a prospective provision, and it only applies to works that are completed after the coming into force of Section 38. However, section, uh, subsection 2 uh, also gives several um, exceptions. So um, if the duty relates to a continuing requirement, the continuing requirement is something uh, like the need to annually inspect fittings and gas mains and that's those sorts of things. Um, if the duty relates to a continuing requirement or if the building regulation expressly provides that uh, the duty has retrospective effect, then in those cases, an action under Section 38 uh, can be brought in respect of buildings that were erected before the coming into force of the section. And finally, the last thing um, to think about in relation to Section 38, is what sort of damage can be recoverable under the section. So um, it's quite interesting because subsection 4 of Section 38 um, currently reads as follows. Damage under this section includes the death of or injury to any person, including any disease and any impairment of a person's physical or mental condition. So that seems to suggest that pure economic loss is not covered under Section 38, and it is only damages for personal injury that can be recovered. And again, that seems to be um, the government's intention. Um, reading from the Hansard again, um, the Minister of State for Housing said, damage is a human term rather than damage to a building. So, for example, poor ventilation or a crack in the wall that caused damage to a lung would be a reason for utilising that particular provision in the Act. Um, 
if that was the government's intent, then it's it's a bit unfortunate that the wording of section uh, 38, subsection 4, doesn't make that entirely clear. Because as I said earlier, it reads, damage includes the death of or injury to, and so on. It doesn't say damage is. Um, of course, a canon of construction is that um, the inclusion of a specific trait excludes uh, general traits. But uh, it's a point that that isn't entirely clear from the drafting right now. I mean, those are just some of my thoughts on, on Section 38. But as I said, it, it hasn't come into force yet. And at this point, we don't know if it will. Thanks, Wenjin. It seems like there's a lot of unknowns on the scope and remit of Section 38 of the Building Act, and in particular, the government's intent. Hopefully, we'll get some much-needed clarity at some point. Many thanks for your time and your thoughts on this interesting topic. We will have a further discussion on the Building Safety Act during subsequent podcasts, so I look forward to speaking to you further then. Thank you, Francis. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast. Many thanks, Wenjin.